Almighty. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you. We love you, Jesus. Praise the name of the Lord. Well, we're serving a very, very great, very gracious, very marvelous, marvelous God. And um, I appreciate Brother and Sister Lyles and their family and this church and their burden. And I want to say that uh, meetings like this are in reality far more important than what we realize. You just never know what will take place, what will be said, what will be felt, what will be experienced, how God will move, uh, what certain word, testimony, preach, song will be fitly spoken into a heart and, and, a, and, a, and a life be changed and a life be absolutely absolutely changed. There have been moments, signal moments in my life in meetings where I least expected it and out seemingly of the blue but out from the throne came a word for me that absolutely was beyond what I needed and help change a course. And so how, how invaluable is that? How invaluable is that? But as has been stated, those things, these, these kind of meetings, they don't just happen. It takes an awful lot of work, an awful lot of expense. And so, brother and sister Lyles, God bless you um, in this church. We appreciate it very, 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 very much. Very much, very much, very much. And, and uh, Brother Joyner, that was a very kind, gracious thing that you did for the Wiggins family. And God bless you, and you will be blessed for it. And one last statement. Um, folks, I can't tell you how good these folks are. If you want to invest in Christians that will array this gospel and this truth in every realm of righteousness, holiness, godliness, you can invest in these people. They are wonderful, wonderful people that love this one God, Jesus name, apostolic message. And so we love them. And, and uh, call me when you get to California. Praise God. Well, let's stand tonight. I love you, Jesus. God, you are so mighty. I love you, God. What a God, what a God. Let's love the Lord just a moment. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Lord God, you are so wonderful. We stand in awe of you, Jesus. We stand in awe. While you're standing, I'd like for you to turn with me to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 18. 
First Kings chapter number 18, I want to say to so many uh, friends that we have here tonight, we love and appreciate you and we're so uh, thankful for everybody that is here, all of the ministerial brethren, um, so good to see um, precious faces, old faces, getting older, praise God. And uh, the older you get, the more you realize how invaluable real friendships are. How invaluable real friendships are. And the older you get, the more you realize how desperately we need each other. We need each other. We need every single one God, Jesus name, apostolic preacher and saint and family that will say we will buy the truth and never sell it. Never, 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 never sell it. Invaluable. I want to read three verses of scripture. First Kings chapter number 18 beginning at verse 15. I know I'm the only thing between you and gumbo and etouffee and that other stuff. Huh? Cubio. Is that right? Cubios. Cubio. I did smell it before church. Well, <laughs> oh boy alright here we are and Elijah said verse 15 1 Kings 18 verse 15 and Elijah said as the Lord of hosts liveth before whom I stand I will surely show myself unto him today so Obadiah went to meet Ahab and told him. And Ahab went to meet Elijah. And it came to pass when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said unto him, Art thou he that troubleth Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but thou and thy father's house in that ye have forsaken the commandments of the Lord, and thou hast followed Balaam. Relatively familiar portion of the word of the Lord. Amen. Could we pray together and ask that God would talk to our hearts. Lord Jesus, without question, God, we need you so very, very much. We need you to talk to us, to teach us to speak to our hearts. And God send forth this word into the heart of every soul. But God, you won't let it come back void. God, you will send it, God, and you will accomplish your purpose. Do the work that only you are able to do tonight and through this word. In Jesus' name, we commit this service and this word in our lives into your hands. And everybody said amen. 
Amen. God bless you so very, very, very much. You may be seated. It is always, to me, a very interesting thing. Um, the various ways that the Lord gives ministers a message. It's, uh, it's interesting to me how He gives me various messages down through the years. I, I uh, never cease to be amazed. Sometimes there are messages, and, and, and many of you that have been in this for a while, you know that, that it's here a little, and there a little, and here a little, and there a little, and there's a thought that is lodged in the back of your mind that every now and then comes up, and it can literally take years, years, for that thought to come together and come to fruition and become the Word fitly spoken. There's other times that He can give you uh, instantly, as it were, complete thoughts where you cannot put it down fast enough, fast enough to get it all on, on paper. I remember one time, uh, in my very early ministry, I was lying uh, on a couch. My pastor called me, and he said, I'm going to be gone five services, and, and, and you need to take care of those services. And, and I, I didn't, you know, he didn't have no storehouse to draw from. I didn't have anything. And uh, I said, yes, sir. And I hung the phone down, and as the Lord who's here and was there and is my witness, He instantly gave me all five messages. I grabbed a piece of paper. I wrote the titles. I'd never preached them before, never thought about them before. I wrote all five titles. I preached four of them to this day. And, and, and then I got sub, and I started writing down everything uh, that I had for each message. The last message, all I had was the title and the text, and I had no thought. I could get no thought. I went to the pulpit, the fifth message, and all I did was read my text and start opening my mouth and talking, and in the course of it, he gave me the message. And I preach it to this day. So it's always interesting <clears throat> how ministers get their messages. I wish I could tell you that, that every single message I get like that, and God speaks and talks and moves and I've, uh, I've heard some pretty good messages in my life that I have preached. Hallelujah. And my thought to several men, I said, man, I've got to share something with you. God gave me this the other day. I said, now look, don't tell me if you don't want me to preach it. I mean, just keep it to yourself. Praise God. And... Uh, but I do. I'll, 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 I'll take those things home. I don't... Anyway, whatever. But I'm going to tell you how I got this message tonight. I heard a joke. I have never got a message before from hearing a joke. But I heard a joke. And as soon as I quit laughing, here it came. And I got it. And so the story was... There was a man that entered into the office of a psychiatrist 
And he sat down, he'd made his appointment, and the psychiatrist folded his hands and sat back, and they discussed a little bit. And so when they got to the issue at hand, he said, I'm, I've got a severe problem, but technically it's really not me, it's my brother. My brother, I don't know what's happened to him, he's gone over the edge, and, and, and I need help. And he said, and what is the problem with your brother? He said, well, my brother thinks he's a chicken. Chicken. Is that what you call him down here? Praise God. <laughs> chicken. Yeah. We've got to make sure now. <laughs> and... Uh, and uh, so the doctor repeated, said, he thinks he's a chicken. He said, yes, a chicken. He walks around the house. He clucks all day. He picks at about anything he can find on the floor. At night, he squats down on the arm of the couch, and he sleeps. And uh, many things like that. And so the doctor said, well, it sounds pretty serious, and said, I, I think you need to go ahead and bring him in and, and talk to me. And, and that's so serious, uh, he may need to stay with me for a while, because he was working out of a hospital, and we may need to really do some tests and check and keep him. He said, you mean like overnight? Well, perhaps several nights. He said, well, that ain't going to work. And he said, well, he, he said, no, 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 that's not going to work. And he said, well, why? What's the problem? So he said, I don't know what I'd do without the eggs he's laying. I hope I don't have to connect the dots, you know. But I will give you the title of what I want to preach about tonight. The title of the message is, Who's Really Got the Problem? Okay? Now, in our text, we find a prophet, a renowned prophet. Um, it's pretty amazing to me that God sent two prophets back to back, Elijah and Elisha, in the same spirit, amen, to the most backslidden of peoples, amen, in in uh, Israel's history, or at least some of the most. And uh, there Elijah was, and he was being raised up as the major prophet to Israel at the same time that the worst king up to that time, and cast a long shadow for a long, 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 long time, uh, was also being raised up, a king by the name of Ahab. And the Bible states of Ahab that never did a man, a king, so give himself to do evil in the sight of the Lord and his wife Jezebel, which did stir him up. It's not as though he didn't have enough problems on his own. But then he marries this Syrophoenician witch, who prods him on to new depths, amen, and, and vile uh, deeds that so astounded 
the heavenlies that God said there is nobody ever been this bad who so has sold himself to do evil. And now she's helping him go further. And so while God's raising up Amen. A man as powerful as Elijah, amen, to deal most specifically with this king, his wicked wife, the nation that they had so corrupted, then he raises up Elisha after him to deal with their children and their deeds. And so we won't rehearse all of the story, but at one portion, Elijah appears. He is one of the rare uh, prophets that we just find out. He is Elijah, the Tishbite, period. We know nothing else. And he arises and speaks and says, It will not rain until I say so, saith the Lord. And it was no empty statement because it didn't rain that month or the next month, or that year, or the next year, or the next year. And so, in that agrarian society, before we have everything we've got today, ability to deal deep, deep wells, etc., 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 still, in our world, brother, when it gets raining, we got problems. And so, following the drought, the famine began to set in, God takes care of Elijah as the stream dries up. He says, get thee eastward before Cherith, etc. And I've commanded a widow woman to, to feed thee there. And so he goes, and for three years, amen, he is in a hiding while Ahab is getting thirstier and thirstier, more and more corrupt. Israel is going down. And now he has sent to kings and Queens all around the nation of Israel. He has searched everywhere to try to find this prophet Elijah. Now he, he mounts his own steed, a man with his uh, uh, governmental official by the name of Obadiah. They're making their way through the land. He's so desperate that he is looking for this prophet himself. And, and he's so maddened and infuriated by what he has stated in the ensuing drought. Now, nowhere did it ever go through his cranium that maybe he needs to repent. He never considered the possibility of, of maybe i got a problem. And maybe I should do some real repenting. No, 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 no. We're going to find that troublemaker. And so they come to a certain point in the road, and Ahab says, look, you go to the right, I go to the left. We're going to find this man and so Obadiah, he's going, he don't think he's going to find him. Obadiah is really a good man. He's a decent man. It's, it's amazing how decent of people you can find even in the midst of, a, of, of such a corrupt regime as was Ahab's. And to the point that this man actually hid 50 prophets of God. And that's an amazing thing too, that there would be 50 prophets left. Fifty prophets left. Let me tell you, God's always going to have a witness. And God's always going to have a people. And when Elijah himself, in just a few days hence from this, comes to the place in a moment of, of depression that he says, God, I'm no better than my fathers. They let them slide off into this and I can't get them out. And God said, 
even in this place, I've got 7,000 that have never bowed the knee to Baal. Can I tell you, God is going to have a people in Jesus' name. He is on to have a people. He's always had a people. And the gates of hell will never prevail against the church. And so this man Obadiah found 50 prophets. He hid 50 prophets in a cave. He, he fed and watered 50 prophets, putting his own life on the line. Yet, he did it secretly, and he was still considered Ahab's right-hand man, so to speak. So the interesting vagaries of life never cease to amaze us. Be all that as it may, he's going down the road, and all of a sudden before him is an hairy man. And Obadiah's blinking his eyes. He's thinking this is an apparition. He says, are you Elijah? I am. And I want to see Ahab today. He says, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to go try to get him and find him and bring him back. And sure as the world, you're going to disappear. And, and I ain't going to see you for another several years. And Ahab will think I'm pulling his leg and kill me. This is a little book of vernacular, okay? And so he says, no, I will see the man today. So Obadiah gets him, gets the two together. Here is Elijah the prophet. Here is Ahab the king that has so given himself, amen, to do evil in the sight of the Lord that nobody's ever gone beyond him and he's got a wife in back of him that's ever been as bad, yea, worse than he is. Standing before this godly, holy prophet of Jehovah God by the name of Elijah. And wicked, vile Ahab says, Behold, the troubler of Israel. Duh. And Ahab is so upset, and Elijah says, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house, in that you have forsaken the commandment of the Lord. Of the Lord. Now, can I tell you something? This just goes to show how skewed people's perspectives can sometimes become. To where they 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 they're not thinking it through. Amen. As to who's really got the problem. This reminds me of another joke. Praise God. There was an old man named Herman who, who got in his car and he's to the point he really shouldn't be driving but, you know, they weren't going to take him yet. His wife was rather just, she'd rather pray for him than fuss with him. And so he, he headed out and he was headed to such and such a place and she knew that he was going to be going on Highway 77. And so she's watching, washing the dishes. She turns on the radio and there's a report Amen. About somebody that's going on the wrong way on Highway 77. 
And she goes, oh, no, poor Herman, poor Herman. She gets on the phone and calls his cell phone. And says, Herman, baby, Herman, be careful, be careful. There's somebody that's going the wrong way on Highway 77. He said, baby, there ain't one of them. There's hundreds of them. Sometimes we get going down the wrong highway and we can't understand. I made mention this afternoon how that Brother Terry told me, Booker, if you live long enough, you'll see every single, and pastor long enough, you'll see every single story of the Bible played out before your eyes. There's nobody here that is not pastored any length of time. But what we've had to deal with situations, maybe it's teens with problems with their parents and when they're discussing all their problems you're thinking who's really got the problem or transversely it's parents talking about teens and you realize this is a divided house with reasons and there's more than one person here that's got the problem amen I wish I could tell you and listen uh, they've asked me to preach tonight and strive to be transparently honest. Amen. Where I've known of saints of God that have had terrible problems with their pastor. And um, like one lady I pastored. <laughs> and, and, and she left church and she said, I'm going to tell you, I like to starve to death in that church. Larry Bunker never did feed me. And so, whenever you hear that, folks, sometimes there's a reason people can't get fed. Amen. But I've also seen times when I've seen problems of saints and pastors when my heart almost broke for those poor saints sorry but it is true if you've got a good pastor you ought to get out of bed every morning and say thank God thank God thank God thank God I got a good pastor if you got a pastor that still preaches this one God Jesus name apostolic holiness truth hallelujah you ought to get out of bed every day and before you go to bed at night God keep your hand on my pastor and his family Because I'm going to tell you, and I, it did not originate with me, but, 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 but I'm going to tell you, the statement is true. There is no such thing as a holiness church. Or holiness churches, there is no such thing. The only thing there really is, is holiness pastors. Amen. And as long as it's a holiness pastor, it can be a holiness church. So if you've got a good pastor, you better thank God with all your heart. But I have seen people whose lives are like what Brother McMullen preached about today. They're like ancient cities with broken down, crumbling, decaying walls. All because they forgot 2528 of Proverbs, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. 
somewhere help us God because if we lose control of our spirit and then we wonder why the walls are crumbling and falling down around us if we're not careful we'll figure out everybody else in the world's got the problem and it's not really us it's an interesting thing this study of who's really got the problem amen people can easily forget proverbs 18:17 that states he that is first in his own cause seemeth just but his neighbor cometh and searcheth him out now niv puts it this way the first to present his case seems right Till another comes forward and questions him. It's always interesting to me when somebody comes with me with a problem about somebody in the church. And my usual custom when it comes to this is, if it's not easily remedied, is I get the two of them together and we hash it out. And it's always interesting when you start getting both sides. Amen. You find out who's really got the problem or the problems. NLT says any story sounds true until someone sets the record straight. Hallelujah. And then another one puts it on this wise. The first speech, this is strictly a paraphrase, the first speech in a court case is always convincing until the cross-examination starts. Then you find out where the real problems come from. This reminds me of another joke, praise God. There was a steel worker working on the high steel, and they heard the whistle sound, so it was time for lunch. So he's sitting up there on the bar, and the guy's next to him, and this guy opens up his lunch, Pale, pulls out a sandwich. He said, "Baloney! I hate baloney." Ah, eats his sandwich. Well, the next day the whistle sounds, and the man opens up his lunchbox. This is so stupid. I hate baloney. I abhor baloney. And he starts eating it. And the third day, they go through the exact same scenario. And so finally, the other man says. Well, why don't you tell your wife to quit fixing you bologna sandwiches? He said, I'm not married. He said, who makes your lunch? He says, I do. So, the moral of that story is, most of the bologna that we have to swallow is of our own making. Amen. We do well to stop and examine ourselves in almost every situation, if not every, and stop and say, now, I want to know now. Think, 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 pray, get hold of God. Who's really got the problem here? Who's really got the problem? In most cases, especially familial or family or domestic, I've come to find there's almost always, there's almost never a 100% right and a 100% wrong. There's these things called percentages. You got, you, got, you got 90 or 10, you got 80, 20, 
You got 70, 30, 60, 40, 50, 50, or whatever. Amen. But my advice to people, and I strive to keep it myself, is that whatever the percentage of the problem is that is your part of that problem, either by reacting adversely or reacting too hastily or reacting too hotly, amen, maybe you're still in the minority of the percentage, but, but if you did not handle your part correctly, then you're part of the problem. And therefore, you must stop and make your percentage right. Even if it's only 1%, make, uh, make your apology. Make your percentage correct. And then the ball is in their court. And at least you're clear from your portion. But we've got to take care of the baloney that we've put out. We've got to. We've got to. Amen. There are things in life and in Scripture we see where people thought somebody else was the problem. Cain, the first murderer, thought Abel was the problem rather than his own stubbornness and rebellion and self-willed iniquity in his offering. He thought because he was offering something, God would accept it. Listen, let me tell you something. we got to move by faith. Faith is not a walk in the dark. Faith is acting upon the revealed will of God. The reason Abel offered up a more excellent sacrifice is he was offering what God had revealed to them. And Cain knew what God wanted. He didn't give what God wanted. And that's why he got what he got. But rather than him say, I've got the problem, he murdered his brother Abel, who really had the problem. King Saul thought Samuel was the problem. Then he thought, his wife Ahinoam was the problem. He thought David was the problem. He thought his son Jonathan was the problem. Saul, only in moments when he would have little rendezvous with reality and the fog would lift and he'd see himself for what he was. And he would give a quasi-repentance before he would go back into the fog. Amen. Of his own self-will and the world of his making. He's the one that had the problem. King Zedekiah thought prophet Jeremiah was the prophet. King Esau thought Hananiah the seer was the problem. Ahab thought Elijah was the problem. Then he thought Micaiah was the problem. King Herod thought that, amen, uh, he and his wicked, illicit wife Herodias thought John the Baptist was the problem. The certain silversmith named Demetrius at Ephesus thought the Apostle Paul and his doctrine was the problem. Amen. The selfish, egotistical bishop Diotrephes of a one God Jesus named Apostolic Church thought the Apostle John and hospitable saints was the problem. But who really had the problem? Now when it comes to real problems in life, most of the real Problems in life that have been the hardest for me to deal with have come from the man who's wearing my shoes right now. And if you'll be honest, that's where most of your real problems come from. A lot of other things are so easily solved, amen, or forgotten, or forgiven, and washed. But when it's dealing with ourselves, is dealing with ourselves. So who's really got the problem? 
Somewhere we need to be when Job's buddies were giving him the hard time. Amen. He says, why persecute what you should be saying is why are we persecuting him? Seeing the root of the matter is found in you. Amen. Here you are with a problem with me. What you ought to be saying. The root of the matter is in me. I'm heading somewhere tonight, saints, so just, just stick with me. I don't know just exactly who this is for, but I do know this is really for somebody. Maybe it's for somebody who's going to hear this on a tape or CD. I don't know. But this is for somebody. And God is giving it because He loves you and He cares about you. And He wants you to come out of the fog. And He wants you to realize the problem is fixable, sir. It's fixable, ma'am. Hallelujah. We need to stop and consider, amen, where the problems of life are really coming from. Often the problems are in us. Can I tell you? Ego, pride, insecurities, bitterness, selfishness, being a control freak, self-centeredness, excessive anger. These can be real problems. And they keep reverberating in our world off every wall we walk around. And every person we meet. I've seen people, they can't get along with their own shadow. Amen. Everybody's got the problem. They're going down Highway 77 and they can't figure out what's wrong with everybody. Amen. I've seen individuals who do not take their life into control. Amen. Their parenting abilities and responsibilities seriously. Amen. They don't bring their children into control. And they want. And you can be a good person. It can be David with his own son Adonijah. And never say, why are you doing that? And then wonder, can I tell you something? You allow a five-year-old to make everybody miserable and you don't try to get them to see life better. Brother, you wait till they're 15 and if you're still not working on it, you wait till they're 25. And then they go around, how come nobody in the church likes my baby? I'm going to tell you, when it's time to discipline you, I'm sorry, this, I guess I'm just a pastor and I'm scratching what itches. Praise God. Amen. If, we do not take proper care of disciplining our children. This is what happens. That child that never gets disciplined. No, mom and dad, they always making excuses for it. What happens is the other people in the church, they say in their spirit and in their mind, I wish I had that kid for one week. And I'll tell you something about a little child. It can read an adult better at five than they'll ever read it. They may not have the vocabulary to describe what they're feeling, but they know when they're not liked. And so rather than you helping them out, you're exacerbating the problem because now more and more people are not liking them because you never deal with them. And then they feel this resentment and they give out more and you are creating a whirlpool that if you don't stop somewhere and recognize your responsibility and say, I got a problem and it's more than just a strong child. I got to step up to the bat. I got to get a hold of God. It may not even necessarily be that the child needs a bunch of good whippings. There's one mother I know had a child like that. I mean, he was getting in a case. And so every morning she would hold him. 
And she would pray. He would wiggle and he would squirm. And she would pray, Jesus, touch my baby. Jesus, help my baby. And she did this for about six months, many times, twice a day, until finally the boy was no longer struggling and he was starting to pray with her. And he walked into a new life and a new attitude. Hallelujah. But regardless, however we got to deal with it, can I tell you something? If there is a problem, we need to be being as honest as ourselves as we can be and as honest with God as we can be and say, God, what can I do? What can be done to help the problem? Because who's really got the problem? Marital problems, oftentimes, there's two things. Two things. One is selfishness and the second is no communication. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I've seen people get married. Boy, I'm really in a pastor mode. I'm so sorry. I've seen people get married. The only thing they had in common was they were both walking through the desert and both thirsty. And they both thought that somebody, the other person was going to give them enough to drink. Amen. Can I tell you, somewhere though, there is a God of heaven. He can build your life where you can offer one another some good things. Hallelujah. My wife and I have been married for 36 years now. And as God is my witness, this is the truth. We've only had one argument that has lasted over 30 minutes in 36 years. Just one. Because we made a pledge a long time ago when we got married, we will not let the sun go down on our wrath. And then we carried it to, you know what, let's don't even let 30 minutes bad time go on. Before 30 minutes is up. And the only time it went over 30 <laughs> she has several. <laughs> but we've never had an argument that lasted over 29 minutes and 59 seconds. But it's been close. <laughs> and it's been hot and heavy. I mean, hot and heavy! Ugh! And I was driving down the road the other day and I was so glad to be out of there. I called. And she wouldn't answer that number. I called this one. Hello? Baby, I'm sorry. Are you really? Why? I only got five seconds left. I'm sorry. She said, okay, I forgive you. I've seen the times before church, we pull up, and I say, I'm sorry. Are you sorry because you're sorry, or because you got to preach? Because i got to preach. <laughs> and I remember one time, we didn't get it fixed in the car. And I wasn't going to fix it in the car. And I was sitting on the platform. We was going through service. I thought, I'm going to have to preach, and I'm running out of time. 
this is not good. And so I thought, if I can just get her attention, and if I can make her smile, that's all I need, just a smile. If I get a smile, I'll know that it's cool. The problem was, I'd be looking at her, she'd go, And I was running out of time. Praise the Lord! She looked at me. She cracked up laughing. You got to do what you got to do, brother. Hallelujah. Whatever the problems are, we got to stop. We got to consider. We gotta... Life's too short to go around with a rock in your shoe. With a rock in your shoe. Amen. One other thing the families really have problems with is financial problems. Let me tell you something. If it's just the everyday tightness, if it's in between jobs, layoffs, slowdowns, whatever, you'll make it. You just keep loving God, doing what's right. Be faithful. Pay your tithes. I'm telling you. You're going to see God come on the scene. Now, if you are spending money like a nutcase, and you think there's no tomorrow, you better get to chopping up those credit cards and get control of yourself. And say, now God, you're going to help us. And somehow we're going to dig our way out. And I'm telling you, God will help you. God will help you. Or whatever, and I could go on and on with a, with, a, with a list. I remember one time reading about a psychologist who was working with two little boys whose father was a horrid, and in psychological terms, hopeless alcoholic. And in the way his life ended up, he was hopeless. And there was no religion involved. It was just him dealing with what he had. But, and he got to wondering whatever came of those boys. And so he, he dug around and looked up and and, and he found them. And one boy was a very highly successful businessman and, and, and a, uh, a faithful husband and a faithful good father, provided well. Amen. And, and so he sat down and talked with him and, and he called his name and said, why did you turn out like you did? And, and the boy put his coffee cup down and he said, with a father like I had, how could you expect me to do anything else? And so then he asked him and the mother, and it was a hard time figuring out where his brother was. He wasn't easy to find, but he kept working and going and following up, and he found his brother who was an alcoholic just like his father. Had nothing, didn't look like he'd ever have anything except a bottle close at hand. And he asked him, Son, why'd you turn out like you did? And he answered, exactly as did his brother. With a father like I had, how could you expect anything different? I'm going to tell you something. If I can use this phrase, we'll say the rook cards, okay? It's not how 
It's not the cards you're dealt. It's how you play the game. Some, let me tell you something. Everybody under the sound of my voice has been victimized somewhere. All of us have got the short end of the stick. Everybody's been done dirty. If you haven't been, you just haven't lived long enough. It's coming as surely as there's a cow in Texas. Jesus said offenses must come. And when those things come and they hurt and it's painful, amen, and the frustration level and the pain level and the anger level, you better stop. You better stop now. You better consider now. I may have a problem here, but it's not going to get any better if I don't handle life right. Amen. We've got to stop who's really got the problem. Not every time, but oftentimes. Not every time. I understand circumstances. I really do. Not every time, but too many times. Depression comes simply out of the way we think. We talk ourselves into. We look at every negative, every slight, every letdown, every disappointment. What we really need, amen, is a renewing of our minds and a renewing of our hearts and a renewing of our spirits. Thank God for good old-fashioned church. Thank God for good old-fashioned altar calls. Thank God for good old-fashioned prayer meetings. Thank God for good old-fashioned getting a hold of God and say, it's me, it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. God, i got to have you. Amen. Maybe I didn't ask for this problem, but I'm not going to let this destroy me. I'm not going to let it destroy my family. I'm not going to let it destroy my church. I'm not going to let it destroy me and root me out of the kingdom of God. I'm going to get a hold of you, God. This is not my problem. It's your problem. And I'm giving it to you. I'm testing my care on you. Because you're the one that cares for me. I heard a story one time of a, of a woman. She's just the kind of a woman. You never wanted to ask her how things are going. Just didn't go there. Because it was never good. It was never positive. You didn't ask her how she's feeling. You ever notice there's some folks, they walk into a room and it's like somebody turned off the lights. There's other folks, they walk in the room, it's like somebody just turned the lights on. I, I pastored a lady like that one time. Have mercy, it was so. And, and you know, I mean, this was not maybe good pastorship on my part. I probably wasn't. But, I mean, God knows we turned over every stone on the brook, turned six ways from Sunday and uh, so she was trying to get a hold of me again. Okay. And uh, never did anything I told her to do. Didn't take any advice. Always had a reason it wouldn't work. And it never did. And, but she wanted more advice. And I was making myself hard to get. And, and finally, she said, boy, you're hard to get a hold of. And I know I shouldn't have did it. I know it. I said, have you ever noticed that I avoid you? 
She said, well, yes, I have. I said, did you ever wonder why? And that's how that counseling session got started. Amen. But, I've, the, but this one lady, amen, she, she was always, always, always had a burden. Always heavy. Always. And one night she had a dream. And in this dream, she was bent over low with a heavy load on her back. And she's walking down a road. And she looked up and there were several people ahead of her, all bent low, all carrying heavy loads. She looked behind her. There's many people behind her all walking with heavy loads. And then she looked, and here was an angelic being that was coming first to one and then another. And he'd lift the load off of their backs, and they would stand up straight. They'd put their hands in the air and walk on down. And then he'd go to the next and the next and the next. And so she, he was coming her way, and he passed by. And he took off that one. And he took off that one. And he took off that one. And she said, hey, what about me? This is her testimony. She said, he turned and said, you enjoy yours too much. And I've come to find there are some people, they're not happy unless they're miserable. Come on now, who's really got the problem? We got to stop and say, hey, Christianity's better than this. My God's better than this. The spirits of the Holy Ghost is better than this. Having brothers and sisters, amen, in the kingdom of God is better than this. I don't have to live this way. I don't have to think this way. I don't have to act that way. But you got to start somewhere and say, who's really got the problem? Who's making the bologna sandwiches I've been eating? And it's amazing. I've seen people, amen, they go through life. They are rude. But all they, well, all they can talk about is who hurt them, who offended them, who's been rude to them. But they miss the fact that behind them they leave awake of people they're always hurting and they're always offending and they're always talking about and you wonder who's really got the problem here and I'm not going to preach all that much longer I'm really not who's really got the problem Goliath said you come to me with staves what he's really saying is David you come out here to fight me he called him a skinny little stick. King Saul thought David was a conniving political schemer. Michael, his wife, saw, thought he was a profane dancing fool. Shimei the Benjamite thought he was a usurper of the throne. His brother Eliab thought David was proud and naughty of heart. His father Jesse didn't even think enough of him to invite him to the party. King Achish of Gath thought he was mad. His son Absalom thought he was an inept old fuddy-duddy that needed to be overthrown. His nephews Abishai and Joab often no doubt thought he was weak and indecisive. His counselor Ahithophel thought he was an incorruptible evil seducer and he would kill him. The lion and the bear thought he was an easy pushover shepherd. 
But they all had another thing coming. Because all that really matters is what God thought. And God said, he's a man after my own heart. All the people that had so many problems with David. There were people such as the disciple Ananias of Damascus that still considered Saul a destroyer of God's people. The Jews of Damascus thought he was a heretic. The saints of Antioch thought he was an unconverted undercover agent and it was a hard time getting them to accept him. The sorcerer Simon Bar-Jesus thought he was undermining his power base. Demetrius the, Demetrius the silversmith thought he was a destroyer of Ephesian businesses. Carnal Corinthians thought his bodily presence was weak and his speech was contemptible. The Judaizers thought he was a promoter of evil that good might come. Some of the disciples of Jerusalem thought he was a destroyer of the law. The governor Felix thought he was mad due to much learning. The islanders of Malta thought he was a felon who had escaped judgment. But all those people, they're the ones that had the problem. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. And God said, that's my man. And if he writes Hebrews, he will have written over half the New Testament books. I suggest you leave him alone. But Paul was human. And he had rough edges. Amen. And David did make grievous, horrendous mistakes. But what about Jesus? To Herod the Great, he's dangerous even as a baby. He's clutching for my throne. To his brethren and even his mother, they thought he was beside himself. To the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he was a glutton and a wine-bibber and a deceiver of the people. To Herod Antipas, he was a performer of magic tricks. This is Jesus, the Holy One. Amen. To the devil-possessed member of the synagogue, he was a disturber of his comfort zone. To Judas Iscariot, he was worth no more than 30 pieces of silver. To Ananias, the high priest, he was an object worthy of death. To the soldiers of Herod, he was an object to be mocked. To the Roman soldiers, he was an object of ridicule, scorn, and beating. To the passerbys at Calvary, he was an object of derision to the disciples they thought him an object to distance themselves from to Simon Peter he became an object of a blasphemous curse to one of the thieves on the cross he was a he was an object of disparagement but to us who are saved he is precious the problem was not will not has never been with Jesus it's with fallen men the captain of our salvation. He's the fairest of 10,000. He's the altogether lovely one. He's high, holy. He's undefiled. And he is deeply head over heels in love with everybody under the sound of my voice. And he wants to work with us our problems who's really got the problem I'd like for the musicians to come this way I read of a young man he had everything so good so together fabulous father 
wealthy, good businessman, great household. He slept in a good bed. He had a good house. Had an elder brother. He had a great inheritance coming his way. One day, Daddy must have said something like, Son, please, I can't understand you. Don't eat with your mouth full. Maybe one day, Daddy said, Son, please, we're about to pray. Take your elbows off the table. Maybe one day said, son, I need you to get up early in the morning. You and I have got to go check on some things. Whatever it was, he got to thinking, I don't like the rules and restrictions of my father's house. I'm getting just a little bit tired of this. I'm older now. I've got a mind. I'm a big boy. I know what I can do. My daddy doesn't realize how cool I am. How sharp I am. And he kept talking to himself. Until one day he said, Daddy, give me that which falleth out to me. I've got an inheritance coming. Why don't you just give it to me now, Dad? And he did. To him and his brother. And the rules chafed him. And the father in the father's house bugged him. He was tired of his older brother telling him how and when. One day he said to himself, Self, I'm out of here. And he began the journey into a far, far country. But he had a lot of money to burn, and he picked up a lot of friends on the way. And one good time led to the next, and one party led to another. And one wild thing entered into another wild, wild thing. And the drinking and the booze and expenses got higher and higher. And I have no doubt, every now and then he would send a letter home to his brother saying, having a great time, wish you were here. The only regret I've got, I wish I'd have done it sooner. I'm free now, I got liberty. I can do what I want, go where I want, get up when I want, go to bed when I want, buy what I want, eat what I want, drink what I want, party when I want. Never realizing the real problem of where he was and where he was headed. And I've had people do just like that. I've had them go everywhere from backslidden condition to the drinking and the partying, to going off into a church that will let them do all of the above. Where they have liberty. And they send back the letters and the messages. My only regret is I didn't leave sooner. Don't let that bother you, brother pastor. And don't fall for that line, brother or sister. 
Son and daughter, if it's a friend of yours, don't be tempted. I got a word for you. Hear me tonight. The famine always arises. You just give it time. You may be like my wife. That all of the people she grew up with in her youth group backslid. She was the only teenage girl in her church left. With her long dresses, modest apparel, uncut hair. And she had a sister who was her birthday, but a year older. She left church. She was cute. My wife would go visit her sister. Cars parked outside, slick cars, neat cars, sport cars, hot rods. All kinds of young men in that house. Dozens of roses here and there and here and there. Love cards. Love notes. in her short, short, short dresses, in her cut hair. The boys, the boys that were everywhere, and the parties. And she'd go back to her church, the only young person there, in her long dresses and her uncut hair. She'd say, I will love you, Jesus. I will walk with you. Some way, somehow, I'm going to make it. And long about that time, she went to a camp meeting in Mustang, Oklahoma. And an ex-hippie boy. was there. I'd cut my hair. I still had it, some on the ears, but it's better than here. I, I was wearing tennis shoes, but I hadn't learned how to handle socks yet. I had, I had bell bottoms, but I'd cut the fringes off. And there I was. And I was trying to pray for a boy to get the Holy Ghost. All these young people around, he used to, I used to run with him. He was one of my best friends. He needed the Holy Ghost. And I looked over his head, and I looked at this girl praying. And I said to myself, you're going to marry her. And I thought, Booker, you're crazy. And we went back to praying. That night, we went to the dorms. My buddy, he was in the bunk above me. We were talking. He said, you know, that brand new girl? I said, yeah. He said, I kind of like her. I put my foot on the bottom of his bunk. I sent him up into the air a ways. I said, forget it. I'm going to marry her. And I looked out the window and I said, 
I am losing my mind. After a few more haircuts and a few more changes of apparel and her pastor's final blessings, amen, and my pastor's blessings, I married that girl. I'm going to tell you something. It pays to live for God. It pays to live for God. Let's all stand. My daddy, my brother, my world, my church, my family. And he went down, down, down in the famine arose and he lost his friends he ran out of money he went from one thing to the next to where finally he's in the hog pen slopping the hogs the lowest low that a Jewish boy could ever do and when he slopped the hogs one day he's ready to climb into the fence and wrestle it back out of the mouths And he finally came to himself and said, I'm the one that's got the problem. The servants in my father's house, they're better off than I am. I'm not fit to be called his son. I'm just going to go back and see if maybe I can be a servant. He stinks. He smells. He's vile. He's rancid. And he's making his way back. And the father is simply looking for a boy that can come to himself and say, I've got the problem. It's me. Brother who sang the songs tonight, I can't think of your name. Morgan, step out into the aisle. Stay right there. You're that boy! Your world's turned upside down and inside out! But you came to yourself. And there's a daddy who's every day scanning the horizon. All he's looking for is somebody to be honest with himself and say, I've got the problem. And when he saw that, that boy was slowly, slowly making his way forward. And the father didn't say, 
Well, it's about time. When he gets all the way up here, then we'll talk about this. That's not my God. I'm telling you what a good God he is. While he was yet afar off, the father ran to that boy. All you got to do is make a turnaround. He'll run to where you are. He hugged that smelly boy. He put his neck on that smelly boy. He wept on that smelly boy's shoulder. And the only thing the boy had done was recognized who had the problem. And he starts walking him back to the father's house. He walks him back to the Father's house. He calls the servants. He says, Give him the best rob we've got. He didn't say, Put a ring on his finger. He said, put it on his hand. It was a signet band. It's to do business with. It's what you put down in the wax seals. What he's saying is, you're going back in business, son. When I redeem, I redeem all the way. Hallelujah. You're going to do business. And he said, there's a calf out back. We've been fattening that baby up for a long time now. Waiting against the party. Well, it's party time. Because somebody's come to themselves and recognize I, I, I've got the problem. We won't, other than to say, we won't take, other than to say, the brother comes, the elder brother comes in out of the field. He's hot, he's sweaty, he's faithful. He hears music, he hears singing, he notices the stall is empty for the fat calf. He says to the servant, What's going on? Man, it's party time! What are we celebrating? Your brothers come home. Your father killed the fatted calf. Your brother has got the best robe. He's got the signet ring on his hand. Now somebody else had a problem. He said, I ain't going in. Daddy got, where's my boy? He said he's not coming. And the father is so good. He come out to him. What's the problem, son? I never left your house. I stayed faithful all these years. You never threw a party for me and a fatted calf for me. Let him come back from Tramp City. And look what you do for him. 
All kinds of problems can develop in the mind of a saint of God. You've got to stop. You've got to let the Father talk to you. Your brother was dead. He was on his way to hell. God revived him. God brought him back to life. Everything I've got's yours. You're with me forever. Don't you think we could have a little party for somebody that got their head on straight? Somebody that recognized, I'm sick of bologna sandwiches. Maybe my brother's not a chicken after all. And maybe I better turn this car around and go with the real flow of the will of God. I'd like us to close our eyes for a moment. Let's lift up our hands. Lord God of heaven and earth, I want you to hear us tonight. You're in this house. You're faithful, you're gracious, you're mighty, you're true. And God, we feel your presence. We want you to talk to us. We want you to deal with us. I'm opening up this altar right now. I'm not saying you're backslid. I'm not. I'm just saying if you're here, I don't care if the problem's minuscule or if it's huge. Amen. All I'm saying is God is here to help us. God is here to do a mighty work in our heart and in our life. Come on, mama. Come on, daddy. Come on, Lord, young man. Come on, young lady. Prepare me. Come on. To be a saint Come on. Come on. If I'm not preaching to you tonight, that's fine. Put it in your medicine chest against the day that you need it. But I feel the Holy Ghost in this house. I'm about to open this up to every single person that will. In fact, let's just do it. Come on. There may be somebody you need to intercede for. There need to be somebody you need to talk to God about. Come on, sir. Come on, man. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. Sanctuary for you. Oh, let's find a place to pray. Oh, let's find a place to pray. Let's talk to God tonight. Let's talk to God. God, I need you. God, I need you. Tried and true with thanksgiving. I'll be early. Take me what I owe. I need.